Good morning, church. My name is Derek. And if you could keep your Bibles open to Psalm 88, that would be great. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Psalm 88. We thank you that it is your word and we delight in it. And even though it may have some confronting things to say, we pray that we will seek you and we pray that you will speak to us today for your name's sake and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Why is Psalm 88 so depressing? I remember asking my youth leader that question when I was in high school. I was going through a hard period in life. I felt like all my friends had abandoned me. And I felt like I was living in darkness. And I was reading God's word and I came across Psalm 88 for the first time. So on that Friday night, I read Psalm 88 to my youth leader. And I asked him, why? Where's the hope in Psalm 88? And maybe you're asking a similar question. Why? One author I came across describes Psalm 88 as the saddest psalm in the whole Psalter, in the whole book of Psalms. Last week, Matt shared with us some motivational posters. Now, I highly doubt that you'll find a motivational poster based on Psalm 88. But as sad as Psalm 88 is, it actually contains great hope. And I want to suggest that Psalm 88 actually provides us as a church with a model, a godly model, of how we should grieve and lament in our times of hardship. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look through Psalm 88 briefly, and then I'm going to share with us three ways that this psalm informs the way that we grieve and lament. So if you could keep your Bibles open to Psalm 88, that would be great. Now let's start. In verse 1 to 2, we have the psalmist's plea. He cries out to God as the one who saves. And this isn't a one-off cry. This is a day and night, week after week, year after year cry. It's a long-term cry. And we're not told the specific situation of what's happening. But what we do know is that this psalmist, he's experiencing severe grief. It's a very intimate psalm. If you look at the psalm, you'll notice that the psalmist uses Lord in capital letters. As Matt shared with us last week, this is often used, and this is used, when the Lord's personal name, God's personal name is used, that he revealed to Moses. So we see that in verse 1, verse 9, verse 13, and verse 14. And also notice the personal pronouns that are used throughout the psalm. It often moves between you and I and you and I. This psalm is raw, intimate, and intense. Death is 
never really something that we rejoice over. Sure, as Christians, we have an eternal hope. Paul says to live is Christ and die is gain. But even then, cemeteries and funerals are never really things that are never really fun places to be and things that we look forward to. Because death isn't natural. It's the result of sin. Sorry. Ask the average person on the street what they think of death, and most likely it isn't something pretty. This whole psalm revolves around death. The author's experience of life is death. Please look with me. Verse 3, my life draws near the grave. Verse 4, I am counted among those who go down the pit. Verse 5, I am set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave. Verse 6, you have put me in the lowest pit. His whole life situation, his whole life situation is that of hopelessness, verse 8, where he has no friends and no one that he feels he can turn to. And here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that even though his eyes are worn out from crying, verse 9, he's still crying to God every day. In verse 10 to 12, we have four rhetorical questions that the psalmist asks, also touching on the topic of death. And in every single one, the psalmist is expecting a no answer. Death and the grave is a place where there is no hope far from God. Now, in light of Jesus, we know that there is hope when we die. We know that there is eternal life. But the psalmist, he's not talking about that. The psalmist, all he's doing is making the point that death is gloom and darkness. And that is his life situation. Verse 13 to 18 is the final section of the psalm. And in this section, the psalmist acknowledges that God is sovereign over all things And he's asking God, why? Why are you putting me through this situation? Why is it so hard? The psalmist begins with cry. In the middle of the psalm, there's crying. And the psalm ends with crying. And a whole psalm concludes with these words in verse 18. Darkness is my only friend. What a way to start Sunday. This psalm teaches us three things about Christian laments and how we should grieve. Because grieving is an important aspect of life. Firstly, Christian lament is honest. In Psalm 88, the psalmist is completely honest to God about how he feels. He feels rejected, abandoned. Verse verse 14, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you hide your face from me? 
Hang on, Derek. Are you saying that we should question God? At times, yes. Isn't that sin? Not necessarily, no. Every month I meet up with Matt Oates. Got that picture from his Facebook, so I guess it's public. (laughs) He's my trainer. And the way I learn is I like asking questions. So when I meet up with Matt, I just bombard him. I say to Matt, Matt, why do you do things like this? Why is church run this way? How do you do this? How do you do that? Now, when I ask Matt questions, am I somehow lacking faith in Matt? Am I somehow trying to usurp Matt's authority? No. I'm just asking questions because I want to know, and there are things I don't know. You see, when we ask questions of God, when you ask questions of God, ask him with an attitude like that of a child, asking their Heavenly Father. Be honest to God in your times of grief. Sure, there might be even things that you need to repent of that you say to God, but you should say it anyway because God can take it. He wants you to be honest to him. The last thing that we want is for Christians to be fakes, pretending that everything is happy all the time when it's not, when deep inside we're hurting. If you have a child, you wouldn't want them to be fake with you, would you? God wants you to be honest to him. And this psalm is honest, but we also have to be really clear. He's not abandoning God. He's not rejecting God. He's not being unfaithful to God. He's affirming that God is sovereign over all things and he's simply asking, why? Why am I going through this situation? He's a model for us in our grief. So why? What's the answer to the psalmist's why? Why does God put us through suffering? By the end of Psalm 88, the psalmist doesn't get an answer. And sometimes we won't get an answer as well. The Bible gives us possible reasons for why we suffer. Romans chapter 8 talks about how God works all things for the good of those who love him. James chapter 1 talks about how the testing of our faith produces endurance. And sometimes the suffering and the grief that we go through is also because of our own personal sin. We can't generalize grief. There are a lot of reasons for suffering. But Psalm 88 isn't about getting an answer. Psalm 88 asks us what we will do when we don't get an answer. Will we keep crying out to God? Psalm 88 begins with crying and it ends with crying. And it's a reminder to us that sometimes the best thing to do when grieving is crying, crying out to God. People grieve and we need to let them grieve. Maybe you've heard people say, just get over it. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes you can't just get over it. 
More often than not, grief often is long-term. Suffering, depression, miscarriage, long-term unemployment, cancer, illness, the death of a friend or a family member, relationship breakdown. And it's okay to cry. Grieving doesn't necessarily mean we lack faith. Even Jesus wept. And Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The gospel is a beautiful invitation to those who are grieving and those who are hurt. So that's the first thing this psalm teaches us. Christian lament is honest. The second thing that this psalm teaches us, that didn't really work out. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's okay. The second thing that this psalm teaches us is that Christian lament is communal. A couple of years ago, I was in Tasmania with Anna and her family holidaying, and on Sunday we decided to visit a church. They had no drums, no guitar, no piano, no organ even. When it got to singing, everyone picked up their psalm book and all began to sing in meter, a cappella, the psalms. And I was just so impressed because I'd never seen that before in my life. And that's actually what the psalms were created to be. Songs that God's people would sing together. If you look at the top of Psalm 88, you'll see that it says, A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now that raises a question. Why would God want his people, when they gather, to sing such a depressing psalm? Why would God want his people to sing such a depressing psalm? The reason why is because Christian lament is communal. This psalm reminds those who are grieving that they're not alone, that they have a community of believers singing Psalm 88 with them. God doesn't expect his people to sing How Great Is Our God or Joyful, Joyful every week. When we sing Psalm 88 together, figuratively, we remind those who are feeling completely alone that they're not alone. Now, how do we sing Psalm 88, though? That's a good question. Creating environments at church where people are comfortable lamenting with one another. Maybe creating time in growth groups where people pray for one another and share their grief and lament. I'm not really sure. Maybe it's something that you can talk to one another about over morning tea. But what this psalm does do is it encourages us to think about lament corporately and not just individually. I remember one time I was at church. I was talking to a man, a homeless man. He'd been homeless for, I'd have to say, probably more than 40 years. And at that point, he was still homeless, struggling with mental illness. And we were talking at church, and he was smoking a cigarette. 
And then a person from church walks past us, looks at the man, and the first thing she says to him, the only thing she says, is, you're not allowed to smoke on church property. This man felt so bad, and I was just so, I don't know, just broke my heart. Because church should be the place. Church should be the safest place for those who are grieving, for those who are suffering, for those who are lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, those who are hurting, those who are struggling with depression, those who are grieving. Church should be the safest place for them. And there may be some of you in this room at the moment, currently living Psalm 88. And if that is you, then I'm really sorry to hear that. If you are grieving for whatever reason, then let Psalm 88 remind you that you're not alone and that you have a community of believers singing Psalm 88 with you. And I encourage you to talk to someone about it. As a church, we'll sing with you. We'll cry out to God with you. At Epping Presbyterian, we are the body of Christ. We laugh together. We cry together. And because we as a church have experienced Jesus' comfort, we're able to comfort those who are suffering. So this psalm, secondly, teaches us that Christian lament is communal. What's the third thing? The third thing that this psalm teaches us is the most important thing, and it's the thing that sets Christian lament apart from all other forms of lament. And that is this. Christian lament trusts in God's faithfulness. Christian lament trusts in God's faithfulness. Psalm 88 makes us feel uncomfortable at times. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Why? It's because sometimes we're not really sure how to handle such severe forms of lament. Philippians 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now look at this psalmist. He doesn't look like he's rejoicing. It doesn't look like he's rejoicing. Shouldn't he have more faith? Shouldn't he trust in God's plans for him? My Old Testament lecturer in our Psalms class, he challenged us to see that Psalm 88 is actually the most spiritually mature response in the whole book of Psalms. Psalm 88 is the most spiritually mature response in the whole book of Psalms. How and why? All his friends and family have abandoned him. He's been crying out to God day after day, day and night, week after week, year after year, from his youth. From his youth he's been crying out. Now I ask myself, what would I do in that situation? What would you do in that situation? This psalmist, even when he doesn't get the answer that he wants, he keeps crying. He keeps crying. And that's faith. 
Faith isn't just trusting God and crying out to him in the happy times. Faith is crying out to God when your whole world has collapsed, when you're on the brink of death, when you're crying out and you're not getting an answer, but you're still trusting that God hears you, and you're still trusting that God is the God who brings salvation, and that God hears your cry. I have a friend He's currently in a, I don't, I don't know what the political correct word is, hospital mental health unit. He's currently struggling. He's been in and out of that institution or that unit for years, more than five years. Paranoia, schizophrenia, anxiety, severe depression, suicidal thoughts, you name it. Throughout it all, even when he's literally at the point of death, even when his paranoia makes him think that everyone or his church friends are against him, he still cries out to God and he still trusts in him. And when I ask him why, he tells me that God is all he has at times. And at those moments, I sometimes think that he has more faith than I do. When you read Psalm 88, or when you meet someone living in Psalm 88, don't necessarily think that they lack faith. Don't look down on them, because they may have more faith than we could even possibly ever imagine. Psalm 88 reminds us to never stop crying out to God even when we don't get the answer we want. But ultimately, this psalm doesn't rest on one, the fact that the psalmist is honest. This psalm doesn't rest on the fact that two, lament is communal. This psalm doesn't even rest on the fact that three, the psalmist is faithful. Ultimately, what this psalm rests on is the fact that God is faithful. He has always been faithful and he'll never stop being faithful. I have an older brother. If the slides were working, you'd be able to meet him, but you can't. I have an older brother, three years older than me. He's getting married in March and... I really love my brother. Whenever I need help with anything, he's always there to help me. And that's not why I love my brother only. If I need to get driven to the airport, he'll take time off work. If I need things moved, he'll help me. Take it, uh, he'll take half his day off to help me. I know my brother is faithful. If I needed help tomorrow, I know that he'll help me. And I know my brother will be faithful because he's been faithful to me in the past. You see, when you're crying out to God, you can trust that God will be faithful to you because he has been faithful to us in the past. And we see God's faithfulness most clearly displayed 2,000 years ago in Jesus No one has ever cried out Psalm 88 more completely than Jesus has. 
abandoned by all his friends, betrayed by one of his closest. As he dies on the cross, darkness literally covers the whole land. And he cries out to God, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus went through all of this because God is faithful and he doesn't leave his people to die in their sin. Through Jesus' grief, God brings true everlasting comfort to those who trust in him. There's true comfort to be found in Jesus. The psalmist in Psalm 88, he knows that God is the one who saves, verse 1. And he understands, Sorry, and that's why he keeps crying out to God, because he knows. The psalmist hasn't got the answer that he wants yet, and he might never get it. But he knows that God is faithful. God has a track record of being faithful, and that's why we can call out to him. Jesus sympathizes with your weaknesses. Jesus understands your grief better than anyone else. And Jesus is also our assurance that grief isn't the final chapter. One day Jesus will wipe away every single tear. Remember that God is the God who saves. Six or so years ago, I developed an inner ear infection in my right ear. It was quite a shock. I had no idea what was going on. And eventually I lost hearing in my right ear, even to this day. And one of the consequences was that I developed tinnitus. For those who don't know, tinnitus is a ringing in your right ear. No, in your ear, sorry. In my right ear, it rings. For me, it never goes away. It's always there. But by God's grace, I learn to live with it. And in some ways, that's what grief is like. Sometimes grief never goes away. It's always there. But by God's grace, he helps us live with it. And he assures us that one day in the new heavens and new earth, all our grief will be taken away. Jesus gets you through because Jesus is faithful. So Christian lament, one, is honest. Two, it's corporate, it's communal. And three, it trusts in God's faithfulness. May we as a church be one that laments and grieves like the psalmist in Psalm 88. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this psalm and we thank you that you show us how to grieve and lament in a way that honours you. And Father, in times of grieving, we pray that we will cry out to you like this psalmist cries out, ultimately trusting that you hear us even when you might not give us the answer that we want. We trust that you are good to us and when we look to the cross, we know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. 
So as a father loves their child, we know that even in our hardship, you do love us. And we thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.